This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you would, and uh, we'll probably be starting out in, in Numbers chapter 5. You can go ahead and have it there, and then we'll be jumping to the New Testament, Luke chapter 19, a little bit later on in our, our study. But two weeks ago, we began a series called To Do in 22. And we went to the book of James and talked how James, even though it was 2,000 years ago when he wrote his book, he knew that our church culture today, 2022, would be a culture where people would gather and listen to the Word, which that is certainly good. But he also knew that after listening and, and maybe even feeling convicted that we would go, oh, pastor stepped on my toes today. And they would equate listening and a little bit of guilt, and they would feel a closer connection to God and say, that was a good service, and they would leave feeling more spiritual because they listened and they felt a little bit of guilt. But James says that even though listening and being convicted is a good thing, yet just listening and and saying, boy, you hit me today. That doesn't amount to, as the old timers used to say, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans unless you actually do something about it. You know, just as paint in a can that's unapplied to the walls doesn't do any good, and and buying a treadmill and having it sit in the corner collecting dust doesn't do any good, and joining a fitness club so you can just carry around a card saying you are a member of it doesn't do any good. It's the same way with listening. Unless you do something about it, it doesn't do any good. And so my challenge to all of us in the coming days is is with God's help, be doers of the word step by step, whether it's an unhealthy habit or an addiction, a critical attitude, a tendency to let bad words slip out of your mouth, an overindulgence, a spending issue. Let's not just say, yeah, I, I know I should do better. Or, or, Pastor, you stepped on my toes today. Let's actually do something about it. That was the first week. Second week, last week, we, um, we talked about forgiving others. You know, forgiven people, forgive people. And if we call ourselves a Christian, and I dare say that if I would ask you, are you a Christian, all of us would say that. But we as forgiven people have lost all of our excuses why not to forgive. If we want God to forgive us for our shenanigans, then we must also forgive others for their shenanigans. You remember that scripture, don't you, in the Bible? (laughs) Well, today, and by the way, this is what I love about you as as a church. There may be a few exceptions, but most of you want substance. You, you, You don't want just fluff. Um. You don't want us to just hang out on the surface. You want to you study deeper truths that may not always be pleasant to hear, but you get it in the fact that they're necessary to become the, the people God wants us to be, and I love that about you, that you don't want just all fluff. And so today, we're, we're going to dig under the surface. We're going to dig for some gold, and we want to spend some time discussing the matter of confession, or more specifically, the matter of 
confessing our sins. Now, when I say the word confession, depending on your background, different things come to your minds. If you happen to come from a Catholic background, and probably not too many of you do, but maybe a few, and I can't speak for all of the different orders of the Catholic Church, nor each local diocese, they vary in practice just as we Protestants vary a lot in our practices. But, but having lived in a very Roman Catholic country for nearly 20 years, here's how at least some of my Catholic friends view confession. They think of confession in terms of the sacrament of penance. And they're taught that after they've been baptized, and, and should they commit a sin, which they probably will, then they're to go up to a priest that many times is in the Catholic Church and, and many times is hidden in a little booth called the confessional booth. And you're to go up to that little window, talk to the priest, and confess your sin. And the word that our, our, our Catholic friends would use after they confess their sins is the word absolution. Or, or in other words, they believe that they will be absolved of their sins. Now, I realize that most of us haven't come from, from a Catholic background, and so let me give you the Protestant view of confession. And, and it may surprise you to where our view as Protestants has evolved, and um, we're not too far from that of the Catholic Church. Let me, let me give you a, a visual illustration of, of how many Protestants view the matter of confession. And and uh, here on the table, and for those of you that are listening on radio, you can't see this, so let me just describe this. On a table, I have three buckets. I have one bucket that's a, a six-gallon bucket. This one here is a bucket, and this was actually my, my grandfather's bucket, so this has some years to it. This is probably about three, three and a half gallons. And then here's a small bucket, and it would be maybe, I, I don't think a gallon would fit in it, maybe, maybe three quarts or so. So, we're going to provide a, a visual illustration here just to help us un understand. Now, let me just um, use this medium-sized bucket. Now, now, some people probably need a bigger bucket for their sins. You see, these are sin buckets, and, and this is a medium-sized, and, and this is small. But we're going to just use the medium-sized bucket here to, to illustrate a concept, how we view confession, the confession of our sins. Now, um, we're all sinners. We understand that. But where we have evolved, where we have come, is, is we've come to practice something that is no longer biblical in our, in our confession. But anyway, so, so let's just kind of grab this, this bucket right here, and uh, let's just illustrate what we, how we practice the confession of our sins. You know, let's say that we get up early in the morning and and I think all of us, whenever we get up, we intend to do good. I, I don't think there's anybody here that would say, well, you know what, I, I, uh, I, I want to get up today, and, and, and Lord, just so you know in advance, I, I want to do bad, I want to disobey you, I want to displease you, and it's my goal to sin and do a bunch of bad stuff that go, goes against the Bible and, and can send me to hell. The majority of us, when we get up in the morning, we want to do what's right. Some will say, Lord, help me to do what's right. Help me to follow you. Help me to serve you. We want to do what's right. But it doesn't take very long after our, our, our feet hit the floor in the morning to get slapped on the face. 
not literally, but slapped in the face with, with situations that, um, that, that bring, us, bring us down. And so, sometimes that even happens before we go to work. We just get up, and uh, maybe our wife or our husband or our kids get up on the wrong side of the bed. And uh, so we say something to them, and that sets in motion a high level of grumpiness. And, and we lose our temper, and we slam a door, and we haven't even left for work yet. And so before we know it, we've found that we have committed our first sin. We're not loving and kind and gentle to our family. And so we have to take our first sin and we put it in our bucket of sin. Well, then we... uh, we finally get out of the house. We're in a grumpy mood, and we get out on the road. We pull out on the road, and, and we haven't even gone half a mile. And would you believe this idiot pulls out in front of us? We lay on the horn, and because our kids aren't with us, we actually say a bad word. Here, before we know it, another sin in our bucket. Well, we get to work and, you know, the natives are annoying and we can't believe how annoying they are and, and so they're, they're doing silly stuff and dumb stuff and stupid stuff and so we go off to the one friend that we have in another department and we start talking bad about them behind their backs, which, you know what the Bible calls that? Gossip. And you know what else the Bible calls gossip? Sin. Little by little, we go throughout the day filling up our sin bucket with sins. Well, about noon, we've had all we can take, so we brought a sack lunch. We go out to our car and um, get on our phone to check messages. And, you know, we start clicking on our phone, and one click leads to another, to another, to another. And, and we've done this before, so we know how to get there. We go to a website that's inappropriate. And um, we start viewing things that we should not see. Now, this sin looks like a pretty cool sin. In fact, if you can look at this one here, some really cool stuff about it. It's a pretty big sin. Before you know it, you know, there it is again. And throughout the day... A bad word here, a bad attitude there. We just keep adding sins to our bucket. Well, we go home that evening, and um, as usual, we, we feel a pretty heavy load of sin. Our, our, our sin bucket has gotten pretty full. We feel guilt. And so, so what do we do at night? Well, the, as, as usual, you know, we're worried. Okay, you know what? I don't want to go to sleep and I might have a heart attack or Jesus might come. And so what do we do? Well, one by one, we begin confessing our sins. Lord, I said a bad word today. I'm sorry. So we confess it and take it out of our bucket. Yeah, this, this big one here of lust, when I was looking at that website, we confess that. 
um, you know, I wasn't kind to my family, and you know, I I I I, I gossip. God, I confess that to you, and and um, and and then just in case we've forgotten a sin, what do we say? God, forgive me for my many sins. That just pretty much takes care of it. And we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And all of a sudden, the guilt is gone. Isn't that cool? And um, our sin bucket is empty. We go to bed, we go to sleep. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Isn't it great to have a clear conscience? You wake up tomorrow. What happens? The same thing happens. Walk around. Putting sins in your bucket. By the end of the day, it's getting pretty heavy. So that night again, God, I feel so much guilt. You know, I said another bad word. Forgive me. Here we are. We confess our sins, our many sins. Got an empty bucket. Isn't God good? That right there has become the routine of many Christians. And, and you know, we've been taught that, uh, that, that God you know, forgets our sins. And so when we confess the same sin that we, we committed yesterday and the day before and the day before, we think that, you know, God forgot that sin. And so when we confess that same sin tonight, God's going, oh, I guess that must be the first time he ever committed that sin. You know, I can't remember anything about sin. And, and so we think that God is so naive to where once we've confessed our daily and frequent sins that he forgets them. And for some reason, we think we can outsmart the creator of the heavens and the earth and the one who knows every thought that goes through our mind, and we think that we can play mind games with him and he not catch on. But here's the problem with that. Regardless of how sophisticated our system of loopholes or mind games might be, if we think that God is okay with our committing the same sins day after day after day after day, as long as we confess them every night, then we are deceived and we're twisting Scripture to fit what we want to believe. Now, I, I know there's some pushback here. I feel it. <laughs> some of you are thinking, okay, Joe, I, I normally agree with you on most things, but this time I don't. Did you forget what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, where it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Joe, did you forget that scripture? So, so again, Pastor Joe, we normally agree, but you must have not through the, uh, thought through this or prayed through this one. Well, let me just say, I'm very capable of being wrong. I, I've been wrong many times, but I don't believe I am on this one. So please hang with me and hear me out before you walk out. And I want us to lay aside, with God's help, our preconceived ideas on this matter, and let's study what the Bible says, because that's really all that matters. And let me begin by saying this. I do believe in confessing our sins. I, I, I'm a firm believer in confessing our sins. I, I do believe, 1 John 1, 9, I, I do believe that confessing our sins brings forgiveness and cleansing 
But in order to understand the matter of confessing our sins, we need to go back to the original biblical concept of confession. And the original biblical concept of confessing our sins is not what we practice today. Uh, you, You may or may not know this, but the current confession system of confessing our sins and emptying our daily bucket of sins so that we can have a clear conscience, so we can have room for sins the next day, didn't really show up until about 600 years after Jesus lived and died and ascended up to heaven. Our current system of daily or nightly confession for the same sins over and over and over with no change was not the practice of the early church. Which means that much of our daily confession is not a Bible thing. And and, and again, hang with me. If you still disagree with me at the end of our time together, I'll accept that. I'll respect that. But hear me out. Around 600 or so years after Jesus lived, and, and, and around 600 or so years after the early church was founded, and, and 600 or so years after the majority of the New Testament was written, it was like we discovered this new thing that, that our Catholic friends call penance, or we Protestants call confession. You know, this practice to where we practice to where we confess our same daily sins at the end of the day and empty our sin bucket so we can go to bed with a clear conscience, that developed about 600 years after Christ. And in the 7th century, there even developed an option where people could pay others to do their penance or confession for them. In other words, I could pay Gene and say, Gene, would you go confess my sins for me? It's kind of convenient. And then, furthermore... There came about the practice to where you could confess your sins before you committed them. If you knew you were going to commit a sin this weekend, you could actually go and confess the sin in advance and say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to be committing a sin this weekend, so I confess that in advance. And so all of that, just to let you know that our, our, our current practice of confessing our many sins on a nightly basis with no intent of changing Did you catch that? No intent of changing did not originate with Jesus. It did not originate with the early church. And it's not backed by Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that all aspects of it are bad. I think there is merit in evaluating our day, seeing where we failed. And and I think there's merit in talking to God about it. But, But I'm just saying that this system of confessing without changing our lives doesn't have its beginning in the Bible. Now, again, I, I do believe in confessing our sins. The word confession or confess is, is, is a Bible thing. I, I researched this out this past week, and, and these words are found in the Bible. Either confess, uh, confession, confessing are found in the Bible 26 times. So confession is a very biblical concept. But biblical confession And this is where we want to camp out for the remainder of our time here. Biblical confession is so different than our modern day confession. I went through every verse in the Bible where the word confess or confession was used. And and here's what I found, and this was interesting to me. That biblical confession was never used in the context of just confessing your sins to relieve your conscience. Let me say that again. 
Not one of the 26 scriptures in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, refers to confession or confessing our sins in the context of confessing the same sins over and over and again, you know, emptying our sin bucket just so that we could get rid of our guilt. Somewhere along the way, we mistakenly began to believe that the whole point of confessing our sins was to clear our conscience to make sure that if something happened to us during the night, that we would be ready to meet Jesus. And so, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my many sins, even though I probably will commit the same sins again tomorrow. I just want to make sure I'm ready to meet Jesus. And here's a key statement that I think might summarize what I'm trying to say. And Nowhere in Scripture do you find the idea that confession is complete when you finish your prayer and say amen. Now, let me say that again. Nowhere in Scripture do you find that confession is complete when you finish your prayer. Rather, here's what you will find in Scripture. You will find that genuine confession is just the beginning. And I don't, take, I don't expect you to take my word for it. So let's look at a few passages in Scripture in just a moment. But genuine confession, real confession, true confession, Bible confession, doesn't end with an amen. Rather, it leads to action. So, are you ready for this? Genuine confession that we find in the Bible leads to repentance. You say, what's repentance? Repentance in simple terms means that you're sorry enough to where you don't do it again. When you repent of a sin, you stop doing it. And see how different that is than our practice of confession today. Today our practice is, is confess the same sins over and over and over again, even though there's rarely any change. Yet, because we've emptied our bucket of sin, we feel better. Because we've confessed and cleared our conscience. But if you study Scripture and embrace Scripture you will see that genuine confession leads to genuine change. God never intended us to play these little silly mind games that make us feel better about ourselves. You know, this whole thing of filling up our sin bucket daily. You know, the same sins over and over, filling them up. And then that night, confessing them, emptying the bucket. That, that whole system, that whole routine where we don't change, that's a very warped and incorrect theology. Again, it's a theology that came about about 600 or so years after Christ. It's, it's a convenient theology. It sounds logical. It makes us feel better about our many sins. But it's not biblical. Because genuine confession leads to genuine change. Nowhere in Scripture do we find the practice of just confessing to clear our conscience without there being change. So, let's go to God's Word. Again, I don't expect you to take my word for anything unless it's backed by the Word. Let's look at a few examples of genuine confession. In the Old Testament, when God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt, the people didn't know anything about how to live because they had been slaves for 400 years. And so, God gave them some very specific instructions to help them live and And one of the pieces of instruction he gave them had to do with confession. Numbers chapter 5, verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way. So 
It's talking about wrong against a person. It could be stealing, talking bad, gossiping, cursing them. It says any kind of wrong. When, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way, and listen, and so is unfaithful to the Lord. Now, let's call another time out. This is big. If you mistreat a person in any way, this scripture says you're unfaithful to the Lord. You know, we like to put church and God and spiritual things in this category, and then we put relationships with people and stuff like that in another category. Um, and, and that's why many times we think, oh, you know, God and I, we're good. I love him. He means so much to me. But over here, we have relationships that are broken. So if we say, God, I'm good with you, he says, no, you're not good with me because you're not good with them. Did you catch that? Man, that's, that, that's kind of convicting here. It says, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, goes on and says, that person is guilty and must, and here we get to the topic of confession, must confess the sin he has committed to which we say, oh, I can do that. I'm good at that. I do that every night. I'll confess to God. He'll forgive me. My conscience will be cleared. But but wait a minute. There's something here that goes against our modern day routine of confessing. Just to have a clear conscience. So that person must confess and then here it is. He must make full restitution for his wrong. Which means confession doesn't end when the prayer ends. Confession isn't just so you can clear your conscience and be ready to meet Jesus. If he comes tonight, God says, after you confess and finish the prayer and say amen, there needs to be restitution for the wrong that's been done. And then God says, oh, by the way, I'm not quite finished yet. Add one-fifth to it. 20%. Is that right? Pay it all back plus 20%. And give it all to the person he has wronged. So in the Old Testament, confession was not coming to God nightly saying, I'm sorry, I committed these sins today. And so God, please forgive me because I want to make sure I have a clean conscience before I go to sleep. And I want to make sure that my bucket of sins is empty. That's not Old Testament confession. God says, yes, you need to confess to me, but you're not really going to be totally right with me if you don't change. And if you just keep doing these things over and over Confession in the Old Testament was, God, I'm sorry, I confess to you, and with your help, I will fix it up. I'll pay 20% extra and not do it again. Are you here today? Well, after this law was given, hundreds of years go by, and Jesus shows up, and one day, and, and you know this story, Jesus is walking down the road, and the crowds were great, and there was this little vertically challenged man that wanted to see Jesus. He can't see over the crowd. You remember his name, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the wee little man, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus stopped the procession and looked up at this corrupt and cheating tax collector that was far from God. And and he said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. And that kind of throws everybody off right then. And Zacchaeus comes down the tree and Jesus goes to his house for lunch and Jesus talks to him about spiritual things and and here's how Zacchaeus responds in Luke chapter 19 verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord here and now and 
And check this out, especially after what we've read in the Old Testament. I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, if you'd have asked Zacchaeus, why this generosity all of a sudden? What happened? I think he would have answered, well, I've been a rascal. I've, I've been a cheater. I've created hardship on, on people for collecting way more than what Rome required of me to collect. And listen, here's the key. After spending time in the presence of Jesus, I want to change. And so now I will take my great wealth and I'm going to give half of it to the poor. But he keeps on going and says, and if I've cheated anybody, which was pretty much everybody, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back. And check this out, not 20% like the Old Testament. He said four times the amount. Ouch. In other words, I'm going to confess. I'm going to own up to what I've done. But then I'm, not, I, I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm going to make it right. And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you know, don't get carried away. It's enough that you've confessed and you've emptied your bucket of sin and your conscience is now clean. You'll go to heaven if you die in the night. Don't go radical on us. I made that up. It's not in the Bible. Here's what Jesus said. Today, salvation has come to this house. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, your confession is the real deal. Why? Because your genuine confession has led to genuine life change. You see, if Zacchaeus was going to give away half of, half of his possessions, and since he was wealthy, that would have been a bunch of money. And, and if he's going to go to everybody that he's cheated, which was most everybody, and pay them 400% over what he had cheated them, don't you think that means that Zacchaeus is serious about changing? He's not going to cheat. And steal from them anymore. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. One more passage, and this is from James, the guy that got us into this mess two weeks ago, the series. But, and by the way, James is the only person in the New Testament who commands us to confess. And, and listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, why, why would you do that? Well, if you're going to tell someone, you probably are going to have some accountability that, that will help you not repeat those sins anymore. That's the point, because genuine confession leads to genuine change. So, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so, when you read this within the proper context of what James is saying, he's saying, if you struggle with, struggle with habitual, continual, addictive sins, sins that you have to confess every night, you probably need to open up your lives and your souls to each other. Why? Because when we open up to each other, more than likely there will be accountability to help us break away from those sins. And for all of you AA people or NA people or CA people or whatever, you've learned something that the rest of us haven't figured out. There are some habits there are some addictions, there are some sin patterns that you may not be able to break away by just telling God about it. It's not that there's something wrong with God, it's not because there's something wrong with you, it's because God created us with a need to be connected to people and in relationships. You know, the person that says, I don't need nobody, they're fooling only themselves. There are habits and addictions that are rarely broken by willpower. The genuine confession that led to genuine change came when they opened their souls, they confessed to a friend that was loving but also helped hold them steady. And, and listen, I'm not saying you need to be an open book to everyone. 
Be wise. Don't open yourself up to a gossip chain. Be wise in this process. There are some people you don't need to confess to. But if they're habitual, continual, besetting sins uh, that you can't seem to break on your own, then find a trusted confidant, invite them to come alongside of you and help you find genuine change. You know, I've learned the sins are like a splinter. And the longer a splinter is in there, the, 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 the worse it gets. It gets infected. And, and the best thing to do with a splinter is when it goes in, even though it may be painful, just dig it out. And the best thing to do with a sin, and especially with what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 in the King James Version calls a besetting sin. What's a besetting sin? Well, that, that just means a continual or an entangling sin. The best thing to do with a besetting sin that just keeps happening over and over again, a sin that you've asked God to forgive a thousand times, the best thing to do with this besetting sin is to bring someone else into the picture and confess it to them. Why not just confess it to God and tell him you're sorry? Well, God already knows you're sorry. You've told him that every night for the last 10 years. So God in his word instructs us how to deal with besetting, habitual, continual, addictive sins. And that's not only to confess them to God, but to confess them to each other. Why? So there can be the necessary accountability that will lead to what? Change. Because again, the bottom line is this, genuine confession leads to genuine change, which also means if there isn't genuine change, there probably hasn't been genuine confession. So, I told prayer partners, I said, I'm going to be in deep weeds today, and I feel that right now. And someone said, well, we may need a weed eater. (laughs) So can I make a suggestion to all of us? Um, If we have those sins that are besetting, continual, habitual, and we really don't have plans to do anything to see genuine change, I've got a suggestion. And and I'm serious here. Whenever I tell you that you're going to chuckle, you're going to think I'm joking, but I'm not. If if there are sins that are continual, habitual, and we don't change, we just confess them every night, could we please change our prayer? And and this will actually help us. Let's quit trying to play the confession game and pull the wool over God's eyes. God is too smart for that. Instead, I want to challenge us to start praying prayers like this. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, I know better. I know what I'm doing is wrong. You know it's wrong. And I'm sorry, God, but honestly, God, I'm not sorry enough to take steps to quit yet. I'm not quite ready to quit my addiction. I'm not quite ready to be accountable to someone, so I will quit saying bad words. I'm not quite ready to give up my lust, but God, I'm I'm not going to play the confession game anymore. I'm going to be honest with you, but God, please help me to come to the point where I'm ready to change. In Jesus' name, amen. I dare you to pray that honest prayer. Don't live in the fantasy world of thinking that God's going, well, at least he confessed. I feel better about that now. And I know he's not going to change, but it makes me feel better. He confessed it, confesses every night. Remember, you're dealing with God. You can't outsmart God. So I challenge you to pray an honest prayer. And here's why I tell us to do this. Because if 
if we'll decide that we're not going to play our little confession game, maybe, just maybe, our newfound honesty with God would begin to form a little crack in our resistance. And, and maybe by God's grace we'll get so sick and tired and frustrating uh, of living in frustration with guilt and, and we'll become tired of the distance we feel from God. And, and even though at night we feel like, well, we've emptied our sin bucket, it's empty now, but the next day it's going to be full again. Maybe we'll come to the point of just being sick and tired of the battle. And we'll be willing to take some steps to see genuine change. So, that's all I have. If you still disagree with me, it's okay. We'll leave friends. But I pray that over the next few days, you will just be honest with yourself and with God. And, and don't stop confessing your sins. Are you hearing me? Don't stop confessing your sins. But I pray that over the next day, uh, next few days, that you will remember that biblical confession leads to genuine change. And that's where God begins to just give us freedom in Christ Jesus. <laughs> You know, this whole thing of carrying around this bucket of sin. And, you know, filling it up and emptying it out. And the same thing, no change. And I'm not saying that we'll never sin. I'm not saying that at all. Don't, don't leave. Because we are, we are creatures of humanity. There will be those sins that occasionally will come in. And we'll need to say, God, I am so sorry. Forgive me of this sin. But I don't want to repeat it again. But I pray that we will get so tired of carrying around this bucket of sin and emptying out at night and filling it up again the next day and that God will give us freedom. Lord, wow, this one was tough for me this week just to dig through and sort through in my own life. And God realized that, man, in some points I'm guilty and but God, I pray that today and in the next few days that we would pray honest prayers. Honest prayers where we're not trying to fool God, not trying to pull the wool over His eyes because He's too smart for that. God, that we would understand that uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we would remember that we can be overcomers through Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would remember that... Uh, you went away so you could send us your Holy Spirit to indwell in us and give us a power. And so God, whenever we sin, and it will probably happen, God, let us confess that sin, but then let us, with your help, with your Spirit, let us change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these people that have listened so patiently. God, now, where I failed in this truth, would you let the Holy Spirit then kind of fill in the gap and do His work? I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.